We have a wonderful, powerful guest for you today, Wayne Mullins. Ladies and gentlemen, sit down, buckle up, because he's going to blow your socks off. But first, let me take a quick moment and share with you about one of my favorite nonprofit organizations. See, we're starting to travel again, and some of you ladies will be traveling to Las Vegas for conventions, trade shows, meetings, and the like. Well, Duchess Rideshare is Las Vegas, Nevada's premier transportation service for women with women drivers, for women passengers, safe and monitored vehicles. So whether you're just visiting or a resident, ladies, take Duchess instead and be safe. It's, it's just the, the daily action. And we, we often deceive ourselves into thinking, I deserve, it's a very dangerous phrase, yeah. I deserve a break. I deserve to not put in the effort today. I deserve can be very detrimental to our long-term success. Yes. And I'm not here to argue what you do and don't deserve. That's not my, my spot to call. But what I'm saying is, if your intention is to be a great leader, five days a week is wonderful to pursue great leadership. But let's not forget Saturday and Sunday. There's something you can be intentional in on Saturday and Sunday. Maybe it's literally you pick up a leadership book and you read one page. I mean, how long does that take you? You know, that's five minutes of your time. Yeah, it's that consistency that's going to create those miracles. This is a Touchstone Publishers presentation, your trusted source of leadership knowledge. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Central Leadership Skills, a podcast. Let's get underway with our guest. And I kind of pre-warned him, which I normally don't do, but I decided to be nice to him because he's such a great person. We want to learn a lot from today. Tell us. What is it about yourself or your company that most people just don't know? Thank you so much, Glenn, first of all, for having me here today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Uh, I know from our, our previous chat, I guess a few weeks back, that um, your passion and my passion are, are very much aligned. And I'm looking forward to this, this conversation. But to answer the question, um, the one thing that most people don't know about me and or our company is this, that I truly believe that the competitive advantage that all organizations are going to have going forward will be the teams that they have. So in other words, the team that they build, the culture that they build, that will ultimately be the competitive advantage. Well, let's start right there um, because a lot of folks are filling up their team, I discover, on who walks in the door first for the application. Is that a challenge that you see out there? Absolutely. And what I would say, Glenn, is for many years, I gave into that same temptation. The temptation is, you know, someone quits or we get a new contract or whatever it may be. And all of a sudden, we've got this huge sense of overwhelm, right? So we need somebody to come in and help. And what happens is we end up, like you just said, the person who walks in the door is the person we say, okay, great, you're here to help. <laughs> Glad you're here. Jump in and let's get going. And what happens is when we're not careful about aligning our hires with our culture, over time, those people begin to distract and detract other people away from where we were heading. And so for me, that has been a very painful and very real experience. Well, I think for everyone, how did you overcome that? I mean, don't want to put words in your mouth, but we've talked about this. And I think we're kind of at the spot where we kind of say, okay, it's a mind game. 
But how would you teach someone to overcome that? How did you overcome that inside your organization? Yeah, I don't know who said it originally, Glenn, but, but there's this old quote or this old saying that a lot of your listeners have probably heard, and that is, hire slow, fire fast. Hire slow, fire fast. And what that really does or when I hear that and when I say that is it reminds me that, yes, we may be going through a very busy season. Yes, we may be overwhelmed with the number of projects and everything on our plates right now. But again, it's a matter of slowing down. It's a matter of not just do they have the technical skills, right? Can they do the quote unquote job that we need them to do? But probably more importantly is do they feel the culture? Do they fit the organization that we're in the process of building, not just for today, but for the future as well? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I would take credit for that saying, but you started out by saying it's a very old saying, and I it <laughs> myself. Yeah. Um, when we talk about the hiring slow, do you have a process to hire slow? I mean, do you have a way that you think people, you should look at that process? We do. The answer is over the years, because of those painful experiences, in hiring fast and realizing it's not the right culture fit, we've slowly adapted and changed. We're constantly testing and tweaking the way we go about hiring. Um, so, you know, our process today would look like this. And again, this is just the broad big picture. I'm happy to dive into the specifics if you like, but yes. um, s- step one is we have a very basic application on our website. So we have the position listed. We have the responsibility for that specific role. And then we have an application. Now our application we've tweaked over the years and it's a bit different than most. We don't ask the quote unquote standard traditional questions. We like to kind of venture off to see how people think, what drives them, what motivates them. Um, But it's a very short application. Um, After that application, we then follow up with an email that dives a bit deeper into their personal side. So in other words, some of those questions may be, um, what good books have you read recently? Or what are some of your favorite books? And so again, our culture says we're a culture of people who are passionate about constantly learning, right? We always want to be improving ourselves and learning new things. So by asking that question, it helps gives us some insight into what are, what is their personal stance? What are their personal beliefs about education, reading, learning, things like that. Um, so from that second email with those, those additional questions, what we would then do is we would then schedule a short 15 minute kind mm-hmm. of get to know interview. And that interview is going to take place with the department lead. So in other words, the person who's leading the specific department that they're applying to be a part of. From that 15 minutes, we have, you know, some somewhat standard questions that we would go through during that, but we try to keep it conversational as much as possible in that short 15 minute period that they're together. Right, right, right. And then the the next step from that would be, we would do what would be kind of back-to-back group interview. So that person would then interview the person again for 15 minutes. They would then be interviewed by another department lead that's not in that same department. They would then be interviewed by another person. And then I would interview them again for about 15 minutes as well. Um, So then from that cumulative experience, we would sit down afterwards and say, okay, you know, what were areas of concern? What were areas of strengths that you thought they would bring to the table? Um, And then the next step in the process would be this. We would then send them, if if we all agreed that this person would be a good fit or potentially a good fit, we would then send them 
our vision for the future. So the company vision, where we're planning to go in the future, along with our company expectations, we'd send them those two things and we would say, okay, read the expectations, make sure that you're okay with what we expect. Can you live up to these expectations? And then number two, read our vision and then respond back with a short video, two minutes or less, telling Excellent. us how you personally can help us achieve this vision. Oh, that's and then <laughs> one more final step. I know it's a, it's a lot. The, the final step in the process would be um, we have them take what's called a Colby, K-O-L-B-E profile. Um, and what that does is it helps us understand the way that they like to work. In other words, are they someone who likes to jump in quickly to projects mm -hmm. or are they someone who likes to have all the facts first before they jump in? Are they someone who is detail oriented or are they someone who's more vision oriented? And those are important because for each of the roles in our organization, we kind of have this ideal fit. So in other words, if the role is we need somebody who's going to spend a lot of time doing research, we don't want to bring somebody in and put somebody in that position who's a high visionary, right? That's going to drive them crazy every day having to do right. a lot of yeah. detailed research. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Yeah. So that, Glenn, is, I know that's a lot, but that's our, our current process for hiring. Well, I want to unpack a couple things. Um, remind me what state you're in? We're in Louisiana. Because okay, some states, I've been told and have the experience of hearing, that some states won't allow you to give a personality test to somebody until they've been hired. So, ladies and gentlemen, check your state regs to make sure that you can do that. But that is a very powerful step right there to see if they're actually going to fit into the process. And you're not necessarily wasting the money on the test until they've gone through everything else. Can anybody end this process? Okay, so like, let's say you kind of do a group interview where it goes, you know, you, the person who interviewed them, another manager, somebody else, then you. Can any of the three people before it gets to you end the process and say, no, this is a done deal? Absolutely. So it's often where the initial interview with just that manager, that 15 minutes, will determine whether or not we move forward or not. Okay. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I'll point out that, you know, we believe to be very important because it's a core value of ours is always exceeding expectations, right? And you can't exceed expected expectations if you don't know what they are. So when we schedule that 15 minute interview, the initial 15 minute conversation, we tell that person to call us. So we say, here's the number, you know, we agree with the time. So they're going to call yeah. it, you know, 1.30 PM on Tuesday. Here's the number to call us at. And then we watch. So are they, gonna, are they calling on time? Are they calling a minute or two ahead of time? Or are they calling us late? So we look for cues and clues along the way to help us get a sense for how would they fit into the expectations that we already have in place. They're calling late. You kind of know that's their lack of organizational skills. So either you're going to teach them that or you're going to not going to bother going through that with them. I guess it might depend on the level of their coming into your company. Yeah. And that's exactly right. We don't, we don't want to exclude anybody over, you know, something could have come up. There could be something legitimate, but what mm -hmm. that does is it kind of raises a flag that says, Hey, you know, they showed up five minutes late for this call. They knew when the call was, they knew the time they confirmed the time they showed up five minutes late. So is that an area now of concern? And so what we would then do is we would look for additional ways 
to identify, is that a re repetitive thing? Is that a thing that's going to occur on a regular basis, right? Well, that would, you would find that out pretty quickly, though, when you go to that step, which is a very powerful step, I think. And the only reason I think that's because I tell people the same thing. But I think it's a very powerful step of saying, okay, send us a video of how you can help us accomplish that vision. And you need to have it here by tomorrow or whatever time it is. No, don't do anything fancy. Just put the phone up to your face and record the video. Yeah, ab absolutely right. And, you know, we've gotten some, you know, there's some people out there who would say that that step isn't a great step because some people aren't good on camera or you'll scare certain people away because they don't want to do a video, all these types of things. But for us, it makes complete sense because very often we are having to record short videos to send to clients. In other words, here's how your website's going to work. Here's what you need to click. Here's what you need to do. Or here's the Facebook campaigns we set up for you. I want to walk you through briefly and show you what's here. So for us, yes, it could possibly scare some people away, but it is something that we do. In other words, we record short videos, nothing professional, but we record these short videos on a regular basis for our clients. So if they're scared or intimidated to do that up front, you know, that kind of indicates to us that they're probably not going to be a good fit for the role. We move forward. You know, when you're saying that, and then especially when you consider that, you know, you're, um, the technology involved in your industry, the technology involved inside your company, how important is it to hire for that technology? Do they have to have the skills or are you wanting to teach the skills as long as they have the attitude or you think the attitude can kind of melt in if they have the skills? Or I would imagine in your group is both. You've got to have the skills and the attitude, but I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. In the perfect world, we would, we would want both. So we'd want the skill set and the attitude or the cultural fit. Mm -hmm. But what I can tell you from experience is we would rather, almost 100% of the time, we would rather have somebody who has the right cultural fit. In other words, the right attitude, the right core values that align with our core values over someone who has the right skill set, but not the right core values. So skills can always be acquired, right? We can train, we can teach, we can train for people for whatever the skills may be for the job, but training people how to change their attitude, teaching people how to shift their core values, those are much longer, much more involved processes than just teaching people how to use certain tools or technology, um, whichever it may be. No, I want to digress or jump out of this just for a second jump out of this lane and go to another lane real quick i have worked with many people and i'm one of these folks who are guilty who says okay i can build my own wordpress site okay a company like yours though upgrades this what technical skills are you bringing into your company that you're looking for that help people with their facebook and their um, wordpress i'm not in a way i'm just letting people know that it takes more than just me playing with wordpress to get it done yeah, absolutely. Great, great question. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we know to be true from a lot of our clients, so let me, let me sidetrack briefly and just say that we work with nonprofits everywhere from uh, churches to other, you know, other types of nonprofits, civic nonprofits to for-profit businesses. But the one common element that is true for all of our clients across the board is they all embrace what we would define as an entrepreneurial mindset. Meaning they think entrepreneurially, they're not happy with status quo. They want to push things forward. They want to exceed expectations, right? So those are our people. Those are the people that we love to work with. Those are the people that we can bring the most value to. 
And what we know to be true across the board, whether for-profit, not-for-profit, regardless of industry, is that um, those people are very busy doing lots of other things, right? So these marketing pieces and components very often fall by the wayside. In other words, they will settle for good enough when they know that great is an option, right? Something better is out there. They will settle for good enough just simply because of bandwidth. They simply don't have the time or capacity to give it the attention that it needs. And so what we're able to bring to our clients, whether that's in Facebook or even traditional marketing or on the web, is we bring a strategic approach to it. So it's not necessarily that, that you know, we can do things from a technology standpoint better, which you, know, you could argue in some instances we can. What we're able to bring is we're able to bring a strategic approach. In other words, how does this thing, whether it's the website or the marketing plan, how does it fit into the big picture? And how are we going to hold it accountable? In other words, ah. how are we going to hold the, the website accountable for the results that we're expecting from it? So that, that's how we would approach that. And sometimes going the strategic approach, understanding the steps, the system, systemizing that whole thing is a lot harder and it takes a lot more time. So that's, that's kind of why I want to pull that out because I want people, you know, if you, everybody's listening or may listen in the future, they know right away that I don't have the time to create a strategic approach to this. If you're going to do a website, SEO, you know, all these things and that. Facebook ads, most people I know who are entrepreneurs, they have given up on them. Yep. Because it's just money going down the hole because they don't have the strategy to work them, nor do they have the time to work it. So that's very powerful. Okay, let me jump back to the other lane real quick. When you have people come back to you and say, here's the books I read. Are there any books that if you see that they said, I read them, you said, that's a hire? The answer is not necessarily. Okay. I can't think of any time that I've looked back and, and seen a specific book um, that I said, you know, this is the one. What I would say is, though, the vast, vast majority of applications we get, um, you know, there's, there's often something along the lines of the question of what good books or what good programs have you recently been a part of to you know, kind of further your education. The vast majority of people who answer that, the response is something along the lines of, well, I've been really busy with X, Y, and Z and haven't devoted as much time as I would like to those things. And so what, what one distinguishing factor is or one thing that immediately stands out for us is the person who says, you know, here are the books that I've recently read, or here's the course I recently watched or attended or whatever it may be. Um, so, you know, it, it's not necessarily a certain type of book or even genre, you know, it doesn't matter to us if they're reading fiction, they're reading nonfiction. What we're looking for is, are they actively engaging in learning something new? Mm. Okay, that's powerful. I, and I do the same thing. I, you know, what someone tells me though, they have recently read Think and Grow Rich. That's a bell off my head that that's a person who understands growth attitudes. So that, that's the one I ask that because that's what I look at when I see that. And plus it's helping me in my d distinction. Okay, so let's move a little bit away from this ideal of building a team through the hiring process. How do you, well, let me change the whole question. What do you think is the next biggest concern for 
nonprofit leaders and entrepreneurial leaders, for-profit corporations too, but nonprofit leaders and the entrepreneurial leaders. What do you think is the next biggest challenge that they have? I, th I think the next biggest challenge outside of hiring and, and building those teams would be um, embracing change. You know, it's so cliche now to, to talk about how fast the world's changing and how, you know, everything is just always in a constant state of change. But, you know, if we're not constantly changing, we're not growing. Okay. And there's a saying that, that I love to say, and the saying is simply this, if the rate of change outside of your business is faster than the rate of change inside of your business, it won't be long before you're out of business. So what that simply means is we know, we all acknowledge that the world is rapidly changing. And yet all too often we sit inside our organizations and we casually observe what's taking place. Or instead of responding to those things, we react to those changes. And as Zig Ziglar used to always talk about, there's a difference between responding and reacting, right? So responding to something is proactive. Responding to something saying, I know the world is changing. I know the marketplace is changing. Here is some plan or here are some plan of actions that we're going to pursue to ensure we're not left behind. Reacting says the world is changing. We don't know what to do, but now we're forced to do X, Y, or Z because of all these changes. So I'll just use a, a very specific example. Um, you know, obviously the last year was very difficult for a lot of businesses due to the pandemic, due to coronavirus, COVID-19. Um, but across the industries, across all of our clients that we work with, what was so interesting, the ones who ended up having good years last year, um, that doesn't mean they grew a ton or that doesn't mean, you know, they reached all their goals, but it wasn't, a tragedy, right? The year wasn't a tragedy for them is they adapted quickly. They changed quickly. They didn't sit around complaining about the fact that, you know, we're now shut down. Our business is not able to operate like we used to. They adapted quickly. So I'll give you just one very specific example. In, in our state, all the gyms were forced to close down for, I don't remember the length of, of time now, but we've got a client who has a gym. That's their business. That's what they've done for the last, I don't know, 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. As soon as that came out, they began investing in technology to bring what they did into the homes, into the smartphones of the people who are normally members. They pivoted their entire business within a matter of two weeks. They went from an on-premise facility to all digital where they're delivering the same classes, the same content on people's smartphones for them to participate in these classes. And they pivoted literally within two weeks. They, they pivoted their entire business model from an in-person model to a digital model. Well, that's very powerful because that's where we're going. I mean, I know as a speaker, yeah, I didn't, haven't traveled for a year, but it's kind of okay because I used the time to get healthy and to learn more and now to kind of expand my reach digitally. Still hoping July, August, whenever, we're going to start traveling again. In your industry, in the industry of, and I'm going to put it this way, in the industry of helping people with the digital marketing, digital message, what has changed for you that um, wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for the pandemic? Yeah, that's a great question, Glenn, because I think that all too often for all of us, myself included, when we come through a year like we went through this past year, 
Um, one approach is to look back and say, you know, thank God that's over. Thank God we're done with that. Let's move on. Another approach says, what, what lessons were learned last year? What were the things that maybe I could have done differently pre-COVID? Knowing, not even knowing that COVID obviously was going to happen, but are there things I could have had in place in my business that would have made the pivot, would have made that transition more quickly, right? That pivot more seamless. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So for us, one of the things that we did that was extremely powerful was, um, you know, so, so we have a decent size following on Facebook and before we used it as we come on Facebook and we share whatever we want to share with the world. So we want to talk about marketing websites, whatever it is we show up and, and we, we talk about these things to our audience. And instead we flipped the script. We said, we're going to bring our clients on our customers on our vendors on our partners on our Facebook page. And we're going to interview them. We're going to talk to them about how are they dealing with COVID? How has their business been impacted because of COVID? And, and we gave them our platform basically to talk about and to share their struggles, to share how others can help them transition through that pandemic. So the, the subtle shift was we took our platform, which we used for ourselves, and we opened it up for others to use basically. And in the course of six weeks, we didn't, we didn't set out a specific goal when all this happened, but in the course of six weeks, we conducted 60 interviews on our Facebook page of our clients, of our vendors, of people in the community, not even, not even necessarily clients, just people in our community who were greatly impacted wow. as a result of COVID. We opened our platform up for them. Now, again, did it make a difference? Did it, did it have an impact? I don't know, but what I can tell you for sure that it did was that it gave them meaning the people who were on our, on our Facebook page, it gave them a place, a safe place to talk about the struggles that they were facing as entrepreneurs, as leaders in industry. And as a result of those conversations, I think in some aspects, it was very <laughs> therapeutic for them, right? It yes. gave them permission to show their vulnerability because everyone else was doing it, right? All these other people were already doing it. Yep, yep, yep. Let me ask you about that because there's something I think that you might not want to share about that and because I don't believe that this is your motivation. But putting together 60 of these talks of people who are clients, former clients, or did it help your business? <laughs> that, that's a tough question. I, I don't have an immediate answer. Um, <laughs> you know, the answer is, we didn't do it with the intention of let's do this because we did this with the intention of let's do this because we have this platform. We have this audience. Okay. Let's give this audience to others and hopefully they will benefit from that. And I'm a firm believer, you know, that what you put out eventually will find its way back. Yeah. yeah. Whether or not it came back last year, I don't know. Well, but that's why I know it's it. That's why I knew it'd be a kind of a tough question because I know you didn't go into it that way. You didn't go into it looking to say, okay, if I put 60 of these on, I should grow my business by 10%. You didn't go in right. there for that. But I'm just seeing from my own personal stuff, as I put more out there, as I bring more people in to be involved, the busier I am. Now, I don't have a metrics for it either. I don't know. Okay. But I just feel that way. So I wanted to ask you about that because 
nonprofits being in the service of others. A corporation, for-profit corporation is probably in service of others too. I know they're you know, a little different field, but not that much different. The nonprofit has to make money to survive too. Okay. Uh, but when you talk about churches and organizations like that that you help, they got to really put out there to help people first. And like you said, you know, if I help them first, then I can get more from that. So that's a very powerful switch that you made. And like I said, I know you didn't really measure it or plan on it being that way, but I'm betting that Zig Ziglar is going to be very true for you. I bet it just seemed like it would be just, especially as people get out of it, this, I mean, there's companies, I have to understand, there's companies out there like mine, I haven't been able to go out on the road since a year. It's been over a year now since I've been out on the road sharing my, my trade. Okay, everything is different. But we're coming out of this and we will be better, stronger than most if we took the time during the pandemic to get better. What would be the number one way you would think that a company, or not number one, but period, all the way around, would get better at providing better service, better communication, better things to their potential staff, employees, customers? Yeah, that, that's a great question because I, I really think that question that you just asked, it really is what business or an organization is all about, right? It's about service. It's about getting better every single day. And so one of, one of my approaches, you know, quote unquote, as a business owner, is that I know that when people come to work here on our team, that the odds of them staying forever are slim, right? You know, the odds of them staying for long periods of time are slim. My goal is simply this, that no matter how long someone stays with us, that when they leave our company, they are better off than when they arrived. That doesn't necessarily mean paycheck, and actually it rarely has to do with paycheck. It means, are they better off as a human being? Are they better off in their business skills, in their social skills, in, in all of these areas? And so, you know, what I would say is I think that, that in times of transition or in times of uncertainty, we can only control the controllables and we have to learn to let everything else go. So, you know, control the controllables and let everything else go. So the, the question becomes, what are those controllables? Well, the mm -hmm. controllables are one, how do I show up every day? Right? Right, right. Am, I, am I showing up in fear? Am I showing up giving off oh. a negative energy? How am I showing up? You know, that's, I think it's um, John Maxwell who, who frequently says that the most difficult person to lead is the person staring us back in the mirror. <laughs> the mirror. Right? Yeah. 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 And so, yeah. you know, one of the mistakes that, that I've certainly been guilty of making quite often is that I hold other people to a different standard than I hold myself. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we give ourselves passes. We give ourselves passes because we're judging ourselves based on our intentions. So what did we intend to do? That's how we're judging ourselves. Well, I intended to read more. I intended to get in better shape. I intended to whatever yeah. that list may be. Exactly. But we're judging, yeah, we're judging other people though by their actions. We judge those around us by are they doing what they said they would do, not by what they intended to do. And so 
you know, for me, when, when I look at what are the things that, that could be done or should be done in these times of uncertainty, it's control those controllables. So one, as the leader, how are we showing up? How are we presenting ourselves? Are we leading ourselves well? Mm. And then two, how are we enabling? And I don't mean that in the negative way. I mean that in the positive way. How are we in, enabling other people to live up to their potential? And wow. I don't know if, if you've experienced this, Glenn, but, you know, by and large, most people end up what I would call drifting through life, right? They just kind of float downstream and wherever life takes them, they bump from, you know, one side of the, the, the river to the other side of the river, mm -hmm. challenges and, you know, peaks and valleys back and forth all the way down this river, but they're drifting. Um, they don't have high expectations for themselves. And so I think oftentimes a leader's responsibility is to help others see the potential that they can't see in themselves. Mm. And that's not an easy thing to do because most people are happy drifting. When you begin pushing people and challenging people, right? It's just like going to a, a personal trainer. They're going to push you and challenge you and it's going to hurt if they're yes. doing their job correctly. Right. It's going to, yeah, it's going to hurt. And so one of the things that I, I try to remind myself of is that, you know, in many ways, I'm like a personal trainer, right? I, okay. We don't do okay. physical stuff, but like my job is to help pull out, to draw out the potential that is there. Mm, to help train the biggest muscle there is, the six inches between your ears. To help train that. You know, um, let me go back to your leadership discussion as a leader. So as a leader of your own company, how do you check yourself to make sure you're not just living the intent, but doing the outcomes? What do you do? That, that's a tough one to answer because we are often blinded by our own intentions, right? We're often blinded by our own egos. We don't see the things that we don't want to see. It's, there, there's some psychological thing, I don't even know the name of it, that explains that. You know, it's kind of the self-fulfilling prophecy that we, we end up in as human beings. And for us as leaders, it's very important for us to, I think, number one, ensure that we are living up to the same level of expectation that we're expecting of other people. And let me give you one very tactical or specific example of that. You know, so if we have, for example, here showing up on time is important because we go to meetings with, you know, people who run large organizations and, you know, for me personally, I view it's a sign of disrespect. If I were to show up for a meeting with, with an organization with 10 people sitting there waiting on me, if I were to show up five or 10 minutes late, it's a, to me, it's a huge sign of disrespect. I'm not respecting their time. Right. So for us here, showing up on time matters. In other words, if you show up every single day to work late here, that's probably an indication that you're not going to show up on time for a meeting with a client of ours. And so mm. if I'm holding my team to the standard of if we start work at eight o'clock, you should be working at eight o'clock. And yet I'm coming in at eight Oh five or I'm coming in at eight 15 or I'm coming in at nine o'clock. Right. Am I holding myself to the same standard or am I giving myself a pass? So that would be just one specific example or one kind of tactical way to, to, hold the litmus test up for ourselves as leaders yeah, 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 and say, where are my expectations of my team higher or greater than they are for myself? 
Well, just like children, it's not what you say, it's what you do, it's the example you set. I mean, I can think of times for sure, my daughter's grown up that I looked over and she was doing the exact same thing that I had been doing. You know, and I think my grandson's starting to go through that same thing. He's starting to see, well, this is grandpop does, so let me do that. Um, people learn more by your example. I think as a leader, do you think leaders talk too much though? <laughs> I, I do. I, I do think that, Glenn. I think that um, listening is a lost skill. Listening is a lost art form. Um, you know, people want to be heard and yet no one is listening. People want to feel important and yet no one's listening enough to even understand what would make them feel important. Ah. And, you know, the, I'm going to jump back to what you were just saying about kind of actions and they speak louder than words. There's this, this saying, it's a, if actions speak louder than words, then let me live loud enough to be heard. So it's about not just going around touting what we believe or what we're going to do. It's about living those things out, living those things out so that my actions tell the story, my words back them up, not the other way around. That is so powerful. And I got to share this with you and everybody. This is why I do this. Because as a leader who where I want to get to, I get reminded of it. I get to hear it every time I talk to a leader like yourself, and it was a powerful thought leader who's out there, who's making a difference. This reminds me of what I need to do. It reminds me, okay, Glenn, are you doing the checklist to make sure that your, your intent is action? Okay, so yeah, you got a great company. My company's going to be great because the opportunity to speak with people like yourself. So that brings me to another question for you, though. When we're actually not leading by our mouths going, okay, we're leading our vision and our purpose. There's some thought out there that your vision, your mission, those things, you got to say those a thousand times until you're sick of saying them before they catch on with your team. But I'm wondering about the balance. If I say it to you a hundred times, you're going to get sick of hearing it too, as much as I'm sick of delivering it, but are you going to catch it? What do you think about that balancing act? Yeah, so, so two things come to mind. And again, like you, Glenn, I'm always looking around for, for other leaders that I can pull from, that I can borrow from, that I can unquote, steal great ideas from, you know, yeah. whatever's working that I can pull and, and implement. Um, so, so one of them comes from a leader that I follow, and he talks about how the, the bigger his organization has grown in pre-COVID, so they're in the restaurant food, food yeah. industry, yeah. pre-COVID, they were at about 800 employees. So very large organization. Yes. But he said the bigger his organization grew, the more time he had to spend in the role of CRO, Chief Reminding Officer. Chief Reminding Officer. So he had to constantly remind people of the mission, of the vision, of the values. And then another leader that I follow, he said, or one of his sayings is, when you are getting sick of saying it, they are just beginning to hear it. When you are getting sick of saying it, they are just beginning to hear it. And I know for me that, that that's an area of weakness for me, right? I'm the type of person who I said it, let's move on to the next thing. Let's, you know, let's, I'm fast paced. Like let's next thing, next thing, let's keep moving. And so I'm really having to lean into these weaknesses of mine. Yeah. I'm having to lean into those things. For example, constantly reminding, why do we do what we do? 
Why do we get up in the morning? Why do we come to work? Why are our values what they are, right? Why are our expectations what they are? And so it's this constant reminding. Um, one thing that I'm, that I'm experimenting with, that I'm practicing, like leaning into a little bit more is, in addition to saying those things, what are the other ways, what are the other methods that I can demonstrate those things? Meaning, maybe it's, maybe it's graphics, maybe we design some posters, maybe it's a video, maybe it's an outside speaker that comes in and talks about why certain things matter. So again, it's about not just necessarily me having to say them, because, you know, as we know, there's lots of different ways people learn and people messages sink into people. Um, so learning to look around to kind of expound mm -hmm. the way that that message is being communicated. You know, okay, so expanding that way that message is being communicated, that's a really good thought, okay? It goes to, you know, setting the example, but it also goes to looking at the end in mind. You know, Stephen Covey's habit, number one, you know, what's at the end, end in mind. And the reason why I mentioned Stephen Covey, because you, you, got, you started this, so don't get mad at me, Wayne, you started this one. <laughs> what books have you read recently that you think all leaders should read? And what books have you read or written recently that you think all leaders should read? Oh, Glenn, that's, that's, the, that's the million dollar question. So I do read a lot. Um, I'm constantly reading books and I'm, I'm very guilty of always thinking the current book I'm reading is the best book in the world. Yes. It's like, oh man, this is speaking to me. This is the one that everyone needs to hear. And so I have to learn to kind of, to, to kind of temper that. Um, but one book that comes to mind for, for all leaders would be, it's called The Three Laws of Performance. Dave Logan and he's got a co-author. I can't think of the co-author's name. Um, the Three Laws of Performance. And what's ex so extremely powerful about that book is this. He spends some time talking about how does the future actually arrive? How does the future actually show up in organizations? And what he talks about is how the future always shows up, shows up in our language. So what people are talking about, what people are using to describe certain things is predicting the future. It's predicting what our organization is going to look like in the future. So that's one book that I highly recommend, Three Laws of Performance. Um, another one that I think, you know, personally has made just a huge impact on me. Uh, it's called Personality Isn't Permanent by Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Really fascinating book um, on kind of this idea that, that our personalities of our lives change. They adapt, that that our personalities aren't necessarily the stagnant thing that we often believe they are. That as we pursue goals, as we pursue visions of the future, our personalities can change if we allow them to. In other words, if we lean into if this future. To. Okay. Yeah. If, if we lean into that future, that our personalities can change. And it, it's just a very profound book. It was for me uh, a very profound book. Well, I'm going to have to get that book because I'm not sure I agree with that concept. But the only way to know whether I agree with it or not is to read it, right? I, mean, I think Absolutely. our personalities don't change past six years old. Yeah. What, what I would say, one, one thing I want to mention, Glenn, based on what you just said, is one of the things that has been over the last probably four years for me, mm -hmm. um, so profound in my leadership and in my life just in general, it's when furious get curious, when furious, get curious. 
So like you, before I read this book, I did not believe that personalities changed. I believe that we have this natural made up tendencies, you know, that are default innate ways that, that we behave and that we operate, et cetera. And while this book didn't necessarily completely alter that view for me, what it mm -hmm. did was it, it opened up a new lens. It opened up a new possibility of belief for me. And so, yeah, that's, I've that's learned. Why that's why we need to read and not things that not necessarily agree with us. That's, that's it right there. And that's the key that that's, it took me, it's taken me so long to realize that before what I, what I was doing was I was reading the things that, that were quote unquote preaching to the choir, right? They were telling me the things that I already believed to be true. Yes. Yeah. They were, they were motivating me and they were maybe challenged me a little bit, but they weren't the things that, that completely shook my world, right? They weren't the things that said, you know, maybe what you believe to be true for so long, maybe it isn't true. Maybe there is something else. Maybe there is a different way to approach these things. And even if you make a slight, just open it up just slightly more, that changes your trajectory forever. So yeah, when you read absolutely. things, I mean, not to really go deep in this because I don't want to go deep in it, but during all this turmoil we had last year, I decided if I'm going to watch TV news, which I stopped doing anyway, but if I'm going to do it, I'm going to watch the channel that's exactly polar to my beliefs. Mm. So I can figure out why this, you know, why they're doing this, why they're saying that. So I can hear the opposite of that. Well, I, I got quick, sick of that quicker than anything else. So I don't, I mean, personally, I don't watch the news anymore. What I need to know, I, I learn, I hear about it anyway. But that's the idea of reading books, though, I think. I think that's very powerful. So those are two great books. You have, and then, by the way, for those of you, go on to our website at Touchstone Publishers and the looks, list of books that are there that, people have written who've been on the podcast and they've recommended it. So the listener is right there. So you can just go look at it and know what they're talking about from that. So just go there. You'll find it. But do you have a third book that you're thinking about? If not, that's fine. Um, third, yeah. I mean, there, there's just, there's so many. I look around, you can see the bookshelf yes. behind me for those that, that may see the video. There's books back here. Um, my desk is stacked with books. I, I just recently read one that was, that was challenging to me in different ways. I'm not going to get the whole title correct, but it was straight line leadership. And then there's a little bit more to the title that I can't think of. Um, and the whole premise of the book, again, I'm oversimplifying this, but the whole premise of the book is that, that all too often, you know, we, we are where we currently are. So we're at a certain point in our lives. We look into the future where we want to be, right? So there's, we're at point A, we see out there in the future, there's point B. And all too often, we have all of these stories. We have all of these beliefs. We have all of these things that we're dragging along with us that are causing us to get off this straight line, right? So this straight path to where we want to be, we know what it's going to take to get to that point, right? We know that it's going to take certain actions. We know that it's going to take us or cause us to do certain things that we're not comfortable doing. And yet, because of all these stories, all these beliefs that we bring with us, what we end up doing is we, we, you know, to use a biblical example, we, we do like the children of Israel. We wander around in the wilderness for 40 years, right? Right, right. We spend right. 40 years wandering around when, from what I understand, the path from, you know, where they were in Egypt to Israel should have only been, I believe, a few weeks, yes. right? Not 40 yes. years. Yes. And, and so that whole book on straight line leadership really deals with that idea that 
the path, there is a straight path. That doesn't mean we're not going to have obstacles. That doesn't mean there won't be setbacks and roadblocks and all of those things. Right. right. But when we carry these stories with us, we allow those obstacles, we allow those roadblocks to completely derail us. In other words, we stay off the path. We veer off and we end up way over somewhere else where we shouldn't be because we're not sticking to that straight line. Now, is that straight line leadership, alignment, action, and accountability? Does that sound right? It, it, it may be. Okay. It, well, we'll figure it out. I, I can out. verify it. For, yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll yeah absolutely. Because that that's um, just the title, you know, taking action and being held accountable for it. Wondering in the desert, had people taken the action for their own thoughts, maybe they would have went the straight line. So that's a very, I see where that's a very powerful book. I want to ask you one other thing, two other things actually, but I want to be respectful of your time. But what message would you say, hey, leaders, here it is. Here's how I try to run my company. Here's how we try to get things accomplished. But what's that one message you would like for people just to know is true? That message would be this, Glenn, that consistency creates miracles. Consistency creates miracles. You know, I've heard it said that, you know, everything we want, everything we desire in life for our organizations, for our families, for ourselves personally, it's all uphill, right? We're not going to coast to get those things that we're after. It's all uphill. And what that means is it requires extra effort. We can't coast to get there. But what that also means is when we are working our way uphill, when we are moving up that journey, that four days of climbing uphill can be wiped out by one day of coasting. So you think about it, you climb up a hill or you push a wheelbarrow up a hill or a cart up a hill, right? You push it up that hill for a few minutes and then you move out of the way and let that thing roll back down the hill. All your effort is going to be almost instantly wiped out by coasting. You know, and so. Go ahead. That's so powerful. Go ahead. Yeah. What I was just going to say is this. So when you look at yourself as a leader, when I look at myself as a father, when I look at myself as a husband, you know, too often, I think we look at it and we think of these grand things, right? We think of these big actions that we want to take. So we want to take the family to this grand vacation, or we want to take, you know, our company to this big level. You know, we want to make the Inc 500 or whatever it is, but it's the consistency that creates the miracles. It's showing up for our families. It's showing up for my spouse at home. It's in the little things, right? It's not in the grand gestures. It's in the little daily disciplines that we achieve success. And that bleeds over to your company though, right? Because if I want to build that Fortune 50 company, I have to have consistent effort every day on my social media, on my channels, on those things. And that has to be a consistent effort every day. And that's where your another quick plug for your company, that's where your company steps in. That is correct. We, we bring that consistent effort where most of our clients that we work with just simply don't have the bandwidth. They don't have the capacity. They don't have the time to deal with those things. Now, we're going to put this information in the show notes for everybody, but tell us about your company real fast. Yeah, absolutely. So the company names Ugly Mug Marketing. Um, we've been in business now for a little over 12 years, and we work with clients all over the country. Um, the common denominator 
of our clients, is, as I mentioned earlier, is an entrepreneurial mindset. In other words, they don't love the status quo. They're always trying to push, trying to evolve, trying to grow um, themselves, their teams, you know, revenues, whatever those things may be. Um, we work in three primary areas. That's website, design and development, social media, marketing, and then traditional marketing. So everything from television, radio, print, email, whatever it may be. Now, forgive me, everybody, but here's a question for me. Radio. I've been told that my desire to get back in radio is not very smart because we're going away from radio. I don't believe that's true. That's why I'm considering going back into it you know, part-time. I won't do it like I used to when I was first getting out of college. How do you help broadcasters who are looking to syndicate their material over radio stations? So I'm asking you for a very specific thing that somebody listens saying, I don't need that, click. But how would you help somebody like me who's saying, okay, you know, six months from now, I want to be syndicated over the air in so many markets? Yeah, so I would begin with um, number one, who. So who is the market that your show would speak to? So step number one is who is the market? And so then from there, what I would do is I would lay out, okay, based on my market, based on who I'm trying, my show is going to be for, mm -hmm. here are the stations that make sense for, for, you know, to pick up my show, to carry my show, right? So that list, you know, if there's, I don't have a clue how many radio stations there are in the country, but let's just say there's 10,000. I have no yeah. clue. <laughs> let's say there's, yeah, let's just say 10 for simple math. Yeah. But once you identify your market, who is your show for? that number of radio stations is now going to dwindle down to maybe let's just call it 2,500, right? Right. Of those 2,500, I would then begin with, you know, if you think of, if you think of the way our personal lives work and we've all heard this the saying or the phrase um, degrees of separation. So like someone is one degree of separation or two degrees of separation away. Yeah. Um, you think of it in that same, that same aspect. So you identify, you probably sounds like you, in the past, we're in radio, so you've probably got some connections already that are in your sphere of influence in radio, right? Okay, no, not anymore. So many years ago, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, but still, the, it may be in my sphere from other things I've done, yes. Yeah, so you, at least one, so if you even had just one, that one radio station then has a few others in their sphere of influence. Those people in that next layer have a few more in their sphere, so you eventually work your way out. But what we have to do is when most people think of reaching a market or reaching an audience, they look out there and they say, okay, it's 2,500 different companies or radio stations in this case that I've got to get my name and my message and why it matters in front of. Instead, if we shift that no, I see, mentality. I see. Keep on going. Perfect. Yeah. If we, if we shift that mentality to simply say, okay, who is the one? Who is the one? Which is the one company? that I can build a great relationship with. And I'm not talking about this doesn't have to be years or months or any of that stuff. You make that point of connection. And then you go to that person, and you simply say, Hey, you understand what I'm up to. You're on board with what I'm up to. Give me the names of three or four, or can you make contacts for me? Connect me with the next three or four. And so it's kind of this ripple effect in the pond, right? Mm. So that one initial splash creates a ripple that creates another ripple. And when we shift our mindset from, I've got to reach 2,500 stations to who is the one today? And then tomorrow, who are the two, right? And then the three, and then the four. 
it's that compounding effect that quickly takes us from here where we are today to the 2,500. If we get lost in, yeah, if we get lost in the whole idea of how do I reach 2,500, we'll spend forever trying to figure that out because it's too daunting of a task, right? It's too expensive. It's too complicated. It's too, there's too many unknowns. How do we do it? But if we go after the one, if we are intentional with the one, the one becomes a two and so forth. And, th and that is not just radio work. That's really everything, isn't it? And yeah, absolutely. Whole, whole belly wake. Yeah. Okay, you froze. <laughs> so we may have to edit this part out here. See if you come back. Oh, you're back now. Okay, you froze it for a little bit. We'll edit that out. That's not a problem. Actually, no, we won't edit it out. I think it's better to show people live. But when we do the video, we'll edit that out from the video. Yeah. Um, thing is, though, you have been absolutely wonderful. And I know I went past the time, and I appreciate your patience here and letting me go past the time that we're supposed to be talking. Because uh, you're running a company, and you got things to do. you got people probably knocking on your door and saying, you said you're going to be done by this time. Where are you? So, mm -hmm. I appreciate you taking the time. I think your last word was so powerful that I want to use that at other things because consistent commitment is so powerful. I mean, yeah. pushing that thing up the hill, you can't stop. Yeah. You can't stop. Yep. It's, it's just the, the daily action. And we, we often deceive ourselves into thinking, I deserve, it's a very dangerous phrase, yeah. I deserve a break. I deserve to not put in the effort today. I deserve can be very detrimental to our long-term success. Yes. And I'm not here to argue what you do and don't deserve. That's not my, my spot to call. But what I'm saying is, if your intention is to be a great leader, five days a week is wonderful to pursue great leadership. But let's not forget Saturday and Sunday. There's something you can be intentional in on Saturday and Sunday. Maybe it's literally you pick up a leadership book and you read one page. I mean, how long does that take you? You know, that's five minutes of your time. Yeah, yeah. It's that consistency that's going to create those miracles. I try to let people know that if they can read or write 200 words a day, okay, where are you going to be 100 days from now versus where you are right now? You're going to have a book. Yeah. And if you do it for another 100 days, you're going to have novels. Yeah. 100, 200 words a day, that's easy to do, 5 to 10, 15 minutes. It's not taken away from your family. You know, you, maybe you get up 15 minutes early and write. But it's mm -hmm. a consistent effort that I need to be held a little bit more accountable for. And I thank you very much for reminding me, hold yourself a little bit more accountable, forget about your intent. What is your actions? So those are very powerful thoughts. I thank you so much. Thank you so much, Glenn. I've greatly, greatly enjoyed our conversation today. Uh, I feel like, you know, there, there's certain people when I talk to them, like we're on the same wavelength. You yes. know, we're on the same, we're speaking the same language, so to speak. And uh, I've greatly enjoyed our time together in our conversation. So thank you. Absolutely. Have. Thank you. All righty. Oops. Trying to end. It doesn't matter now because that's going to get recorded.